Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. Have you ever asked the question, why can we not all just get along? I mean, that is the $100,000 question after all, isn't it? Why can't we just get along? And, and here's the thing. It, it's not really isolated to any single area of life. It is literally the question in every arena of life. In work. In school. In hobbies, extracurricular activities. In families, in churches, in communities, in neighborhoods. I mean, it, it, it's literally the question everywhere we go, but there's a reason for that. It's because human beings are involved in relationships. That's why. Because humans are humans no matter where you go. In fact, I have a 100% certainty of saying that everyone in this room is human. It's true, I know. The fact of the matter is, the hardest thing you will ever do in life is learn to get along with people and to get along with people. And in fact, the greatest joy of your life is going to be when you get along with people. Amen. Isn't it true how sometimes the, 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 the best is also the worst, depending on which angle you're coming from? Like, I, I've, I'm, I'm 46 years old. I think I'm 46. And... The best part of my life is not my hobbies. Now, I love them. I love them. But that's not the best part of my life. The best part of my life is not my house. I love my house. Okay, I don't love. I always teach you don't love things that can't love you back. I really, really like my house. I finally, the first time in my entire life, have a home that when I come to it, I'm like, ah, this is home, right? We waited a long time in our life, Shannon and I did, for, for us to, to be able to have that. First time in my life, I've got the boat that I've always wanted. That's a big deal. Go ahead and make fun of me if you want, but if you're a boat person, you get that, right? But do you know that I would trade every single one of those things, everything, for the relationships in my life? I would rather be a poor beggar living in a box and have the friends that I have than to have the stuff I have and miss my friends. And I mean that with every fiber of my body. Um, Larry was telling me a story this past week. And he said that he was at a guy's house. And his house was enormous. And he said when he means enormous, it was literally indescribable. It was thousands of square feet. Thousands of square feet. He said his guest house was over 5,000 square feet large. His guest house. <laughs> I'd like to be a guest, right? He said he walked into this house and in the middle of the house was a fireplace that was so large he literally walked into it standing straight up. I said, Larry, that's not a fireplace. That's a barbecue pit for an army. He said he sat down on this man's couch and they started to talk and the man told him these things. He goes, look around. I have thousands of acres. I have everything that I could ever possibly want to buy. He leaned up and he said, but I'm the most miserable man on the planet. Why? Because he had broken relationships. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to take about 40 minutes and I want to help us to understand why relationships are so stinking hard. Because I believe, I believe the Bible teaches it, but I believe because of experientially as well, that if we can figure relationships out, we will have a different quality of life, a life that's worth living. But most of us struggle with relationships and quite honestly, will struggle for the rest of our lives and many will never quite figure it out. And it's simple. It's because they won't do what the Bible says is necessary to have quality, healthy relationships. Now, let me give a little caveat You're not going to have a good relationship, a healthy relationship with everybody. It's impossible. So let's just go ahead and set the bar. Now, the Bible says as far as as it depends upon you, you're to be at peace with everyone. So as far as you're concerned, you should have the ability to have a great relationship with everyone, but you cannot force a relationship with someone who doesn't want it or who has an unhealthy view of it. Does that make sense? So when you're at that point in your life, here's what you do. You open the door, you leave it open, you give the opportunity, but then you continue on with your life. You don't just keep pounding away trying to make it work. No, you do what you can do, and then you, you say, okay, if you want to have a relationship, we can do that, but for now, I'm going to live my life. That's, that's a healthy way, and I think a biblical way of looking at this, but what about the other ones? What about the ones you want a relationship, you need a relationship with? What about the people sitting next to you? You know, one of my, one of my um, hardest jobs as a pastor, as, as a pastor here, is, is managing relationships. And that's really a bad way to put it. I don't mean managing your relationships. I mean being caught in the middle between relationships that are, are difficult. Husband-wife relationship, neighbor-neighbor relationship, parent-child relationship, you name it. I mean, it, it runs the entire gamut. It's very difficult to be in that position, but here's what I know. I know that that's not a position that's just mine. That's a position that's yours too. Because if you're a husband, you're in, you're in between the relationship between mom and daughter. Is there nobody that, reckon, that identifies with that? Anybody? Maybe we need some lights on so I can see your face. If, if you're a mom, you're in, a rela- you're in the middle of a relationship between father and son. Right? If you're a child, you're in the middle of a relationship between mom and dad. You shouldn't have to be, but a lot of times you are, right? If you're, I mean, it just, it, it just covers the whole gamut. So, so why is it so hard? Genesis chapter 1. I want to I unfold for you, or not unfold, but I want to help build a, a framework of why relationships are hard. And then I want to show you what the Bible says is necessary for relationships to be healthy and to, to be satisfying. Let's, let's turn the house lights on so we can see, will you? Pull it, pull it all up. Let's make it bright. All right, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let, us, let, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, so this is the foundation for every relationship that you and I have. And it's the fact that people were made in the image of God. If you don't get this, you're not going to have healthy relationships. Because you have to see how people were made by the hand of God, by the voice of God. You have to understand who they were created to be if you're going to love them the way you're supposed to love them. 
Because if you don't see who they were created to be, then you're gonna see them as maybe who they are or how they act or any, any number of things. And it's gonna be difficult to, to, to have a healthy relationship with that. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Now, the Latin is the imago dei. I love that. Created in the imago, it just makes me sound smart, right? No, not really. The imago dei means you look like God in some ways. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that were made in the image of God. Well, you were made in the image of God. And before you were even formed, God knew you. He put inside of you his character and, and who he was. But, but what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that you're God. And it doesn't mean that you're exactly like God. It means that his qualities and characteristics have been placed inside of you to grow and to come out and to be the means by which you and I connect with other people. So some of the things that God is, you and I will never be. Now there are a bunch of omni words, right? You've got this one word called omnipotent and it means all powerful. You and I were not created omnipotent. We were not created all powerful, why? Because if we were, we would ourselves be God. God is all powerful, which means there's nothing that he cannot do. God also is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's all-knowing. You and I were not created as all-knowing, unless, of course, you're a woman. And then you've got, am I not right? Amen, Amen right? You're a little lower but on the scale of godness, but women just have that sense if you don't believe me, ask my wife. There are times when she will wake up and say, Jeff, we got to do such and such. I'm like, just go to sleep. Sure enough, the next day we go to the doctor and, it, and she was like right on. And I'm like, how did you know this stuff? And she's like, I got it. Right? <laughs> Women, am I right? It is. It's a sixth sense. I, believe, I really believe it's a gift from God. But at the end of the day, we are not omniscient. We don't know everything because if we did know everything, then we ourselves would be God and we're not. Omnipresent. That means everywhere at every time. See, we're confined by space and time. We have a body and we have, we have boundaries and we have uh, 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 borders that we are, we are forced to stay in. But for God, that's not the, that's the thing. He's omnipresent, which means he's there and he's here and he's yesterday and he's tomorrow and there is no difference. There is no time and space to him. He created time and space for us, but that's not for him. Does this make sense? Why? Because he's God and we're not. So we're not these omni things. But what we are is made in his image in terms of his character. In terms of the, the nature of who he is. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, after all, I want my daughters and my son to be like me in the same values, in the same, the, the, the same way I see people, things like that. Not, not the bad me, but the good me, right? Don't you want your children to, 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 be, to, to grow up to be like you, at least the good things? Well, that's how God made us. And listen to the character and nature of who God is. I have never connected this before. Why? I don't know. But it makes perfect sense. In Galatians 2, excuse me, Galatians 5, verse 22, the Bible says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, that means if the Spirit of God is alive and well in you, if you, are be, if you are being controlled by the Spirit, if you are living by the Spirit, then the outflow of that is that you will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If that's the fruit of the Spirit, well, the Spirit is God... That means God inside of you is producing this kind of a person. That is what it means to be created in the image of God. Have you ever thought of God that way? What is God like? God is love. He's not just, he, he is love, but he also loves. The natural outflow of who God is, is that he loves, right? You ever thought of God as joy? See, we think of God as giving joy, and as causing joy, maybe. But have we ever thought of God is joy? That's a whole nother, another picture, isn't it? A lot of times we're, we're thinking, God is like this. He's the mean grandpa. Scrunched up nose. Cheeks big old fleshy. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for you to come on my lawn. Right? I'm just waiting to zap you. That's not God. That's certainly not the God of the Bible. God in his very nature is joy. Love, joy, peace. By the way, what did the angels sing? Joy to the world? No, that's what we sing. But there was a whole lot of joy to the world when Jesus came, right? I mean, doesn't the scripture talk about the great joy? It's because Jesus was here. Joy, peace. Jesus is the what? The prince of peace. He says, peace I give you. Not peace that the world gives. It's a whole other kind of peace. Patience. The uh, King James would be forbearance. That sounds a little more meatier. But patience is a big deal, right? God is patience. Kindness. The Bible says the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God is ultimately a kind God. He is kind and he's also good. So the kindness of God, oftentimes expressed in the goodness of God. I was thinking about this this morning. How good is God? How kind is God that he thought of the smallest detail when he created us? Do you know that when God built man, and, and, and it's, we, we, we understand it to be that he goes, let there be man, right? Out of the dust of the ground, he formed him. Let there be man. Then he blew breath into his nostrils. We see that as like a quick deal, right? But the planning that went into, and, and again, I'm, we're trying to talk about an eternal thing with fi- or infinite thing with finite understanding, but... The complexity of a human defines and describes the goodness and the kindness of God. Taste buds. Think about it. Taste buds. I can tell the difference between sweet and salty. I know when I'm eating candy and when I'm eating popcorn. And when the two of those come together, it's like a celebration in my mouth. It's like fireworks going off. And I'm like, 
Yes, this is good. Barbecue ribs. Can I get a witness? Chocolate ice cream. And not just chocolate, but the difference between a man's chocolate, a real chocolate, dark chocolate, and everybody else's chocolate, milk chocolate, right? I know the difference between dark chocolate and milk chocolate. It's all chocolate, but it's so, I can tell the difference between German chocolate and, and, and all, I mean, it's this, it's this ability for us to discern and to taste. Now, God didn't have to do that. There is a reason for it functionally. It's so that we will not die, so we'll actually eat, but it's also for pleasure. Amen? God is good, and he is kind. And there are all kinds of sensations that your body was built to have that God said, I'm going to create them, but I'm going to create them in such a way that life is good. I'm going to make them in my image. So kindness, goodness, gentleness. Think of the gentleness of God. How how many times should we be zapped and God is just, he's gentle. As a father would, would work with his son or his daughter. Faithfulness. Self, all This fruit of the spirit is a description of what God is like. That is what it means for you and I to be built in the image of God. So now let me, let me draw this out for you. We were created in the image of God. And then it says, male and female, he created them, which tells us right away he didn't make us all alike, thankfully. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad I'm not you. You were made differently from the person that is next to you. But the difference is not just male and female. The difference is far, far, far greater than that. And this is why being human is hard. This is why relationships are strained and our work to make happen. Because God made us in his image to where what ruled our hearts and our minds and our decisions and our bodies were love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sin entered into the picture. And it marred the image of God inside of us. That's the best way I can explain it. It marred the image of God. We still have the handprint of the fingerprint of God on us, but we have this other in, in, uh, 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 sinister thing that's called sin. And sin keeps creeping up and it wants to overtake the way God made us to be. And that is the rub in relationships. The enemy, the Bible says is a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible says that he's the father of lies, that he comes simply to destroy everything that is good. And he does that by fabricating things, and he does that by, by, by twisting things. And he did it with Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember what happened? He deceived Eve and Adam, and they to partook of the fruit, and God said, your, your relationship is now broken. Sin is now here. Um, um, separation has happened. 
He tried to separate them from God and he tried to separate them from each other. You can believe that Adam and Eve had words over that fruit. I mean, you can just, we don't have a record of it, but you can believe that, well, actually, we do have a record. What did Adam say? The woman you gave me made me do it. Right? That's the enemy's tactic to divide and destroy. And he doesn't care about destroying property and he doesn't care about destroying temporary things. The only thing he wants to destroy is your relationships and mine. First our relationships with God and then our relationships with each other. Because what he knows is that the two are inextricably tied together. Broken human relationships mean broken relationship with God. Broken relationship with God means broken relationship with humans. It's just the way it works. So why or how does he divide us? Well, this just gets more and more complicated. Y'all with me okay? You with me? Okay. I need to know what time it is. Otherwise, I'll go till 2 o'clock and I don't want to do that. Well, I do want to do that, but I won't. So remember, he made us male and female, so we're different. But his differences are used against, or our differences are used against us. First off, we're male and female. Now, I joke about that a lot, but I have great respect for both male and female. I, I, I laugh about it because it's, it's so blatantly obvious how different we are that, that it, sometimes my, my, the way I deal with that is, is by being humorous. So I hope, hope you don't take offense to that. I really don't mean it in a negative way. I'll be the first to tell you, my wife is, is the best thing that have ever, has ever happened to me on the planet. She makes me better. She doesn't complete me. I think that's stupid, but she makes me better, Right? Y'all catch that movie? You complete me. No, I'm, I'm completing myself, but I've got gaps that she brings out and she fills in me. That's a good thing, right? So we're male and female. So if we had a pot, I wish I had a pot. I meant to bring one. And we throw male and female in the pot, right? Just that alone is enough to complicate the world. But then let's put in their personalities, and let's divide them this way. Let's put extroverts and introverts together. Now, an extrovert is one that's like, hey, it's a party. Let's, I'm the only one. I don't care. Let's do it, right? Amen. An introvert's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'll just watch. I'll talk to one or two of you. And everybody knows that extroverts are better, right? No. But every extrovert thinks that that's the better way to live. And every introvert thinks, well, actually, introverted is the real way to live. So let's put all that in the pot, right? Consequently, how many of you are extroverts? Let me see your hand. Raise them tall. Raise it up. Raise it up. Extroverts, okay. All right. I won't ask you who's an introvert because I know you don't really want to raise your hand and be in front of everybody. But now we know because the extroverts just told us. So, so you got extroverts and you got introverts. And then you've got different things like how do, you, how do you perceive things? Do you feel things or do you think of things? Are you a thinker or are you a feeler? I've never met a feeler that's like, I'm a feeler. I don't think at all. They're always like, oh, I think about things. I, I, I think all the time, but I also feel. You know, what they're trying to do is trying to fit into a box that says, okay, I'm not weird. But the truth is, there are some people who every decision they make is made by how they feel. And it's not because they're ignorant. It's not because they're not smart enough. It's because that's the way they were designed. 
When God formed them in their mother's womb, he was saying, we need people to feel. Otherwise, we'll just run over people like a tractor. <laughs> True, right? I'm not by nature a feeler first. I want to think about it logically. Because logically, it only makes sense to think about it logically, right? If your feelings are hurt, I'm sorry, but wrong is wrong, right? But see, I'm, I'm not wired the way some of you are wired, and you're not wired the way I'm wired. So let's put us all into the bucket. So we got male and female. We got introverts. We got extroverts. We got feelers. We got thinkers. And then we've got people who perceive things, right? It's the intuitive part. And then we got the other people who just boom, 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 boom. It's like an algebra equation in their head all the time, right? Then we got people who are black and white. It's one or the other. Then we got people who are like, eh, kind of in the middle, right? So let's put all that into the bucket. Is it getting a little complicated yet? Oh, but wait, there's more. Then we have upbringing. How, how you were brought up, how you were raised by your parents or your grandparents or your social structure makes all the difference in the world in how you react and respond and live life. If you grew up in a home where there was always fighting and there was always tension and there was always stress, you can just about guarantee that you wrestle with stress in your life and how that's handled. Unless, unless you've matured out through that, it, it's always going to be an issue. If you grew up in a life where everything was easy, you never had to really worry about no, whether your next meal is going to uh, actually be on your table. If you, if you didn't have a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of uncertainty, if you had a lot of security you probably will take for granted the security that you even have right now. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying the way we're raised informs the way that we live. There are people, not so much in my generation, let me say that differently. I know it's true, but not so much in my experience of my generation, but in First Baptist generation, a lot of those folks will tell you they were raised to think that certain colors were less human than others. Just, that was just the reality of our, of our nation. I talked to somebody this morning, and here's what she told me. She told me, she said, my mother was so terribly racist. I, was, I had one black friend my entire life, and I hate that about me. I don't want to think bad. I just... I just, I struggle with that because that's all I ever knew. Now, folks, do you see how that would create tension in relationships? And here's, here's the interesting thing. You take that person and then you take a person who's African-American who's raised up in a house. And I've been told these exact words. In my home, I was told all of my life, don't trust a whitey. They will lie and they will cheat and you cannot trust them. So you take a person who was raised never to trust a white person. You take a person who was raised they couldn't trust a black person and you put them all in the same pot. You got problems, right? It's what the enemy does. So you've got your, your personality, or your, your, the, the sex that you are, male, female. You got your personality. You got your upbringing. You got your experience. Did I do an experience already? No, I didn't. So your experience. Your experience is, thus far in your life, what have you learned about people? Where have you been hurt? Where have you been 
um, judged? Where have you been misunderstood? All of those things about you, you're keeping notes and you're keeping track. And you may not necessarily have an exact list, but I can promise you that is coloring the way that you experience relationships, not only with each other, but with God. Because by the way, everything horizontal is also vertical. The way you see God in large part has to do with the way you see your father. It's just the way it is. I'm not saying you're condemned to be that way if you had a bad experience, but I'm saying that is the reality of life. So your experience, which leads to your fears and your insecurities. Throw all of those in the pot. Mix it up. And then start trying to form friendships and relationships. Tell me how that works out. Does anybody struggle with that? That's, that's the way it is. And here's what the enemy does. He, out of that pot, he takes and he says, okay, don't trust that person or that person or that person. Don't like that person or that person. Despise that person or that person. But these people who are just like you, you can be friends with them. And I want to say this, if you're only friends with people just like you, you are shortchanging the joy of your own life. And you're keeping yourself blind to actually growing and maturing, not only in your faith, but also as a human being. We like to be in our own echo chamber. That's the worst possible place to live. Sorry about this, Mike's driving me nuts. It's, it's a bad place to live because our own echo chamber is only people who agree with us. So, I was walking out of Walmart in Pensacola last week. I, I think Saga was with me. I, I think so. And as I was walking out, there was another woman walking out. She was a little bit older. She had this piece of toilet paper that looked like a dragon tail. And, it, and it, it was out and all the way down. And I walked by and I, and I thought for two seconds, I go, now this is going to be awkward. But I think she might want to know. And if I just reach over and grab it, she might slap me. And I don't know where that's, I don't know if that's like pre-used toilet paper or just an accidental overflow or what. So I was like, and so I tried to wait until nobody else was listening it's like, uh, ma'am, you, you, you got a little uh, paper. She goes, oh, oh, oh. She took it off and threw it down. And she was like mortified. And I tried to make her feel better. Go, ah, it happens to me all the time. I was like, that was stupid. That never happens to me. Like, I literally cannot think of a time where I've had toilet paper hanging out of my back of my pants. Nobody tells me. That's right. I just don't have good friends. But, but I was thinking to myself, the awkwardness of the conversation was worth it ultimately for her. The awkwardness of relationships and making relationships that aren't ordinarily going to form is worth it because of the joy of the relationship that can come. So let's get to the good part, okay? Let's get to the answer. So what do we do? To build good relationships. Turn into, in your Bibles to the New Testament to Galatians. I mentioned this a moment ago. But I want you to see that this is specifically a command to us 
in relation to relationships. So Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We could just stop right there, spend all day on it. I I would argue that a whole lot of people in life are living life in chains. There's no freedom, there's no joy, it's just, it's just the drudgery of life. You hear that a lot about 2020, honestly. And and I'm not making light of it. We did a podcast last week on this, and we we were hoping to give a, a, a positive spin on it, but... The truth is, you know, we just want 2020 to end because we, we think somehow once 2020 is over, 2021 is going to be roses and marvelous, right? What we're really saying is, I want the pain to end. I want the struggle to end. I want the, the difficulty to end. But isn't it true that the greatest parts of life come out of the deepest parts of pain? We wouldn't wish this on anybody But we also don't want to miss the joy of what God is doing inside of us by refining us and shaping us. And so he says, you, my brothers, my sisters, you were, we were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There's a lot in this. Paul is saying to the Galatian church, he's saying, look, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. That's God's greatest command. All of the commands of scripture boil down to that command. Love your neighbor, which let me, let me, Uh, translate that for you be in a good relationship that's what that means be friends why can't we be friends right good song right but it's true okay I don't know why that just popped into my head and why I felt compelled to sing it out loud but let's deal with it I did just move on (laughs) that's the way my brain works he says love each other And then he says something else. And it's interestingly interesting how he says it. He doesn't say it in case it would happen. He says it because it was happening. He said, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. If you keep on, meaning stop biting and devouring each other. Those are pretty harsh words, aren't they? You know, a child bites, usually because they don't know how to express an emotion. They don't know how to deal with it like an adult. So the only thing they can think is, I'm just going to take a chunk out of your arm, <sighs> right? That, that's expressing some inner frustration, some inner, inner thing going on. But as adults and as young adults and as teenagers, we bite and devour each other all the time. 
And we're doing it because we're in the pot trying to wrestle and manage through all of these differences that we have. And we've made enemies and we've made friends and alliances. And we feel like we got to protect ourselves and all that stuff's going on. And God says, love one another as long as they're lovable. Oh, wait, that's not in there? Love one another as long as they don't bite you. It's not what it says. Love one another as long as you're getting something out of the deal. Try again. Oh, it just says love one another. I don't like this any more than you do. But the truth is, I really do like this. You want to know why? Because when we learn to love one another... Not dependent upon whether you love me, but I'm going to love you because it's my job to love you, regardless of how you respond, regardless of whether you receive it or accept it or want it, I am at peace with God because I'm doing what is my responsibility to do. And so I'm going to love you, which gives me great joy, which gives me the ability to live in the image of God. So this is one passage. If you continue on saying, if you continue on through it, it says verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, that's the kind of attitude we have. That's the kind of of people we are with each other. Ask yourself this question. Well, actually, let's do it on the next verse. Uh, turn if you will just a few Uh, Books over into Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. All right, so what's he talking about here? If you have any encouragement, if you're excited, if you have a weight reason to celebrate, if it's a good thing that you are united with Christ. United with Christ means we're in relationship. See that? If it's a good thing that you are in a relationship with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, see all of those things are relationship, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose, in parentheses put, parentheses put, with each other. Do you see how that works? Paul is saying to the Philippian church, if you are united with Christ, then make my joy complete by being united with each other. If you are friends with God, be friends with your neighbor. Then he goes on to say how to do it. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The key word in here, I think, is humility. Humility is desperately needed in our culture. I told First Baptist this morning, I said, you know, the hardest part about this whole election is that Most people don't like any of their choices. Like as a human being. Like most people that I've talked to anyways, 
They're plugging their nose and voting for a cause, not voting for a purpose, a, a person. The reason for that is an issue of humili- uh, humility. It's an issue of, of, of what we think should be a, a, a decent, reasonable, nice person should be. I'm not making a political statement. I'm making an overall statement that culturally, most of our country, as far as I've seen, I could be wrong, sees that there is a, a human likability problem with politicians in general. And you think that's right? Am I, am I off on that? You think that? So here's the thing. What makes a person likable? Well, love, that does. Kindness, that does. But you know what the secret sauce is for likability, I think? It's humility. It's somebody who comes in and says, you know, I, I could be wrong. I'm just going to give you an option. It's someone who, because humility seems to respect the humanity and the value of others. That's what humility really is. It's saying, I respect who you are. In my humility, I'm going to give you that kind of respect. I'm going to give you that kind of honor. The humility of saying, I am not necessarily completely right in everything. Which goes back to the question, are you in an echo chamber of friends? Because if you are, you're probably missing some serious issues in your life that only somebody who doesn't think like you and act like you and look like you can show you. I have all kinds of Facebook friends. I have gay friends. I have straight friends. I have married friends. I have single friends. I have black friends. I have Hispanic friends. I have white friends. I have old friends. I have young friends. I have Democrat friends. I have Republican friends. I have even Kanye West friends. I mean, I have them all, right? And you know what I love to do more than anything else? I love it when my friends come into one single post and we talk respectfully, giving our thoughts on things. That is the greatest thing on the planet to me. Partly because of who I am and my personality. That's what I love. But what I really love about that is this. I recognize that I could be wrong in the way I view some things. And without them speaking into my life, I'll never know. Listen, this is a spiritual issue. If all of your friends are Republican, you're missing something. Amen? Come on. If all of your friends are Democrat, you're missing something. If all of your friends are white, you're missing something. If all of your friends are your age, you're missing something. When Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, we could also go back and say, who's my neighbor? Think about it. The dude's neighbor was a person that wasn't like him. He was a Samaritan, right? Think about that. Jesus said, your neighbor is the one most unlike you in that particular story. But you can't actually have a conversation with somebody that you can't stand. And you certainly can't have a conversation with somebody that you won't even look at and listen to. If I could, if I could teach the world one thing. 
well, actually, I couldn't just teach the world one thing. There's a lot of things. I, one of the things I'd like to teach the world is that we can actually disagree and still be friends. We could actually have totally different values, and I could still love you. No, we live in a world where I'm supposed to hate you if you're not just like me. And that is nothing short of a, than a lie from the pit of hell. That's it. So the way we build friendships is we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility we consider others better than ourselves and we look not only to our own interests, but also to the interest of others. And we have the attitude that is the same as that of Christ Jesus. One more, and then we've got to go. The next uh, book over, Colossians chapter 3. Y'all with me still? Whew, man, out of time. So Colossians 3, verse 12, says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, Clothe yourselves. That tells you that it's not automatic. It's something you've got to choose to do. Clothe yourselves. Cover your nakedness. Cover, cover the, 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 the natural tendency, right? Clothe yourselves with these things. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. And patience. Let me ask you this question. I want you to think of whatever strained relationship you have. Just one. Chances are most of us have a bunch of strained relationships. But just one. In that strained relationship, ask yourself this question. Not about the other person, but ask this about you. Say to yourself, am I compassionate? In the context of that strained relationship, am I compassionate? For a lot of us, that's like, that's it, right? That, that's it. That's, that's the beginning, right? Fix that. Fix the relationship. Ask yourself, am I compassionate? Am I kind? A different way to ask it is, what does kindness look like in my relationship with them? Am I humble? Well, of course I am. <laughs> am I humble? Am I gentle? Whew, it's getting harder and harder. Am I patient? And then the next verse, 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You and I have a choice today. We can choose to live in strained relationships or we can simply choose to do what Jesus said and start healing them as far as it depends on us. But I can promise you by experience and by the authority of God's word, if you choose to live in strained relationships, do not expect peace. You've made a trade. You, you, there's been a transaction. You have traded peace 
for broken relationships. If you want to stay there, that's your choice. But just understand that's the choice that you've made. However, you can also make another exchange. You can exchange healing in relationships for peace. You say, well, they're not willing to fix this. It's not what I said. We're to make peace as far as it depends on us. You cannot control if they are compassionate or kind or humble or gentle or patient. You can only control if you are compassionate, humble, gentle, kind, and patient. So to find peace is for you to become these things in that broken relationship and rest in the knowledge and in the understanding that you've done all that you can do. And so you are guiltless before God. How does that sound? Sounds horrifyingly difficult, doesn't it? But you know the funny thing? <clears throat> so I, I took, I took uh, a friend fishing yesterday morning. Josh and I took a father and his son fishing. And we were out on the boat. It was rough. Oh, it was so rough. Like two to three foot normal and then four to five foot seas that were, were occasional. It was just, we went out, we, we finally caught fish, but it was rough. <laughs> My friend's son was in the boat and he was soaked and he was freezing. And, and I noticed my friend was, was, was laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? He's like, well, before we left, I said, son, you're not going to wear that, are you? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, here, wear this. This is better. And his son just left it at the thing. And it was funny because on the way in, his son, with great humility, goes, yeah, next time my dad tells me to wear something, I'm wearing whatever he says, because he's been there before. See, at some point, we realize that there is truth in what somebody else who's been there before is saying. And at some point, being miserable is no longer really the option we want to choose. You want to know why these senior adults over here are some of the finest people on the planet? And they are amazing people. They are that way because they've lived the path that we have lived or are living, some of us, and they've realized that the most valuable thing in, in, in life is real, healthy relationships. And they're willing to let go a lot of a lot of stuff to be at peace in relationships. That's what they will teach us if we'll listen. I suspect, though, that many of us are going to continue to fight and continue to, to struggle. And eventually we'll go, you know what? Maybe we should just do it God's way. Does that make sense? All right, so here's your, here's your, your assignment. Here's my assignment. Start to run all of your broken relationships through Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Am I compassionate? Am I kind? Am I gentle? Am I patient? Am I bearing with this person? Probably means that you are going to be, probably means you're not going to get your own way. 
which is okay because Philippians tells us, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who, though he was equal with God, did not seek that he had to try to attain. So it all makes sense, right? But just understand, you are trading discord and chaos for peace. And that's something money cannot ever buy. Amen? Amen. This morning, if you are not at peace with God, I want to invite you to find that peace. And you find that peace simply by recognizing that He is not far from you. The Bible says that God loves you. And that His love for you is not based on what you do for Him. And it's not based on how you've behaved in the past. His love for you is based on the fact that He created you to be in relationship with you. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works, so that you can't boast about it. If you will come to him right now and say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I'm broken. I need you. The Bible says that God will begin a relationship with you. And Jesus Christ will be the mediator between the two of you. That's how we find peace with God. Is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why we can forgive others because he's forgiven us. Take a moment, if you will, bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you're watching by Facebook and you've never trusted Christ Jesus. I want to invite you to make, make this decision the only decision that you need to make today. This morning, if there's some things that God spoke to you about, I want to invite you just to be obedient. And you know what? You may not be able to walk all the way down the path that you know is calling to, uh, calling you to, but, but you can at least take a step, can't you? Can't you at least take one step? And wouldn't you be willing to do that? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing as we respond. But I want to invite you. Don't wait. Do what God calls you to do. Father in heaven, you are a most gracious God. You love us beyond what we could possibly imagine. Help us. We desperately need you. I pray these things for your name's sake and for our own peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.